Well, good morning. Uh, two years ago today, I uh, met you guys for the first time. And I preached the day after the Ironman conference, having flown out here from Mexico City. And who would have known that two years later, uh, I'd be living here with my family and be a member of Flint Hills Bible Church. Uh, but we're glad to be a, a part of you guys. So <clears throat> I want to start off with a story. When I was a kid, uh, probably around seven or eight years old, I signed up for my first and last youth triathlon. <laughs> so I have no idea why my parents let me do it. I, I wasn't a particularly good swimmer. I hadn't ever been in a real competition, and I did not train for it at all. <laughs> I just showed up. On the day of the race, I, I started off relatively strong, running as fast as my little legs would take me. But by the end of the second leg of the race, the swimming leg, I was so exhausted and so far behind that as I got out of the water, my mom simply came out of the crowd and she took my hand and she took me home. <laughs> I didn't finish the race. And as a family, we never, ever talked about that day again. <laughs> For a while, I actually wondered if I had made it up, but it happened. Sadly, it happened. Uh, now, that's obviously not a, a super serious example, but it does highlight an important truth. It's one thing to start a race. It's a whole other thing to finish a race. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, and at a practical level, that is really what the book of Hebrews is all about, about finishing the race. It warns us to not be like Israel in the wilderness because they failed to finish the race. They started off with a furious sprint, seeing God work miracle after miracle through Moses plagues and fire and the Red Sea parting. But when things kept getting tough, when the challenges began to look too overwhelming, when their energy began to lag, they failed to endure. They stopped trusting in the Lord. And as a result, instead of entering into the promised land, they found themselves dying in the wilderness. One by one by one over the next 40 years. They did not finish the race and they did not receive the prize. The book of Hebrews is warning its readers that they now find themselves in a very similar situation. They too had started off strong, receiving the gospel with such power and fervor that they willingly, even joyfully, experienced incredible suffering and persecution for the sake of the gospel. But a lot can change in a few years, right? Life moves on, and the adrenaline fades, and the challenges, they, they pile up, and the heart 
and the knees grow weak. And these professing Christians, like Israel in the wilderness, like many of us sitting here in this room right now, and one of us standing here right now, they now find themselves in danger of shrinking back, of not trusting the Lord, of not enduring until the very end. Remember, it's, it's one thing to start a race. It's a whole other thing to finish that same race. And so in chapter 10 of Hebrews, the writer challenges them and us in verses 35 through 36, saying, Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He, he says that we have need of endurance. And then he goes on to say that the key to endurance, the key to finishing the race, is faith. It's faith. He says in chapter 10, verses 38 through 39, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we all find ourselves at different points in life, right? Some of you are starting out in your lives, either in schooling or even spiritually. Some of you are uh, in the middle of your lives with families and responsibilities. Some of you are coming more towards the end of your lives, all the challenges that that entails. Uh, but we all are called to endure. And we're all going to have to endure. But the question is, what makes it hard for you to endure in your spiritual life, in your situation? What makes it really hard to stay focused, to keep following Jesus day after day after day? And think about it. Maybe for you it's the, the constant distractions of our world. Facebook and Instagram and sports and news and politics. Or maybe it's an ongoing sin that you just keep falling back into over and over again. Gossip or pornography, or anger, or pride. Or maybe it's the demands of daily life, day after day, work and family, school, marriage, the constant ebb and flow of COVID over the last two years, my four-year-old getting sick every single time she goes to preschool, or maybe you have a chronic illness that's just not going to go away. Or maybe you struggle with doubt, with whether or not God really loves you or if He's even there. Or, or maybe if you're like me, in addition to all of these other things, you just get tired. You're just tired. So I want to be honest this morning. You see, I would like to identify with the writer of the book of Hebrews. But I am much more like the struggling Christians that he's writing to. I came to know Christ almost 30 years ago. And for those first few decades, man, I pushed forward with an incredible amount of zeal and enthusiasm and passion. Uh, but in these middle years of life, I find that the race has become particularly difficult as the adrenaline fades. 
as the challenges pile up and as my heart and my knees literally grow weak. Uh, even this change from living in Mexico City to moving here, as wonderful as it has been to be with all of you, it has turned upside down all of my life patterns. Now I'm having to figure out anew what does it look like to run the race when everything has changed. And it is hard. It's a long race, much longer and much harder than I ever realized. And so I find that I too am in need of endurance. I too am in need of faith. But that's sort of like a religious term. What does that even mean? What is this faith that is capable of both launching us out into the Christian life and also sustaining us through the hardest and driest times of life. And the answer is found in our text today, chapter 11 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. A famous chapter, and we're going to study the whole thing. So please turn with me there. Now, as we go through Hebrews chapter 11, passage by passage, I want to highlight and unpack for you Five truths about faith, truths that will empower us to face the world as it really is and to endure until the end so that we might obtain the promise. Let me pray. Father, may you give these people here endurance to listen to my message. (laughs) And Father, may your spirit through your gospel Give us the kind of faith and hope that allows us to persevere through the good and the bad because you are worth it and because what is on the other side is more valuable than anything this world can offer. And may you speak through your broken servant this morning to speak truth and hope to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first truth about faith is found in chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And it is this, enduring faith gives us certain hope. Enduring faith gives us certain hope. It says in verses 1 through 3, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is, seen was, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Enduring faith gives us certain hope. Saving faith does not hope like a child hopes at Christmas for the latest toy or video game. Biblical faith is the deep, certain, inner conviction that what God has told us And what he has promised us is true. In fact, the word translated in verse 1 as assurance could also be translated as the objective guarantee of our hope, the reality of our hope, or the certainty of our hope. Biblical faith, enduring faith, is a certain faith. And according to verse 2, it is this kind of faith that God himself commends And it has always been that way since the very beginning. He says in verse 2, For by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. Now, we, we live in a society that is deeply uncomfortable 
with certainty, right? Uncomfortable with the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, as it says in verse 1. Certainty can sound arrogant and intolerant to the postmodern ear. But the, the problem with that perspective is that a, a, a maybe faith or an I hope so faith or a keep your options open kind of faith is simply not a faith worth building your life upon. It's just not strong enough to face the challenges of life and endure until the very end. And it's not a faith that God will recognize and commend on the final day. True biblical enduring faith can be certain without being arrogant because it is not rooted in me, but in the living God who has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ and through His written Word. We have certain hope because Jesus Christ has certainly paid the price for our sins and risen from the dead in history. We can see the world properly because Jesus is the risen King. And we have unique access to the invisible truths and promises of God because He has made them known to us in His Word. In chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, there's a lot that you can draw out of this verse, but I actually want to highlight something that undergirds this verse. How do we know that the universe was created by the Word of God? How do we know that? I would argue that we ultimately know that because God has told us so in His Word. We know it and we believe it because He has said it. The rest of Hebrews 11 gives a story of the Old Testament, and this verse is starting in Genesis 1. The problem with certainty in our modern world or postmodern world is that too often we are certain about the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. That kind of certainty is dangerous. Biblical certainty, biblical faith, is not found in our opinions or experiences or political philosophies or even in our religious traditions. It is found in this book in which God Himself has made certain promises that guarantee forgiveness and salvation for all who will turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord. That is God's promise. And according to Titus 1-2, God does not lie. Our faith is certain because the object and the author of our faith is true. It's based on Him, not on us. So something interesting happens when we trust in the Word of God and in God's promises. It actually enables us to see the world in a radically different way. It allows us to see the world with certain hope. So if you look out the window with just human eyes, 
You'll see cars and buildings and people. If you look a little further, you'll see a lot of brokenness and dysfunction and pain as well. But if you look through the biblical lens of faith in light of the Word of God, you'll see so much more. You'll see people created in God's image. You'll see sheep in need of a Savior. And you'll see that there is a certain hope, certain hope that our God is working to make all things right in Jesus. So first of all, Hebrews 11 tells us that enduring faith gives us certain hope. Secondly, in Hebrews 11, verses 4 through 7, we learn that enduring faith seeks to please God. Enduring faith seeks to please God. Let me read verses 4 through 7. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So enduring faith seeks to please God. The rest of chapter 11 of Hebrews provides us with a list of dozens of Old Testament saints, biblical heroes whose lives were transformed by their enduring faith in God. And verses 4 through 7 start off highlighting how Abel, Enoch, and Noah each sought to please God as an expression of their faith. In verse 4, we find that Abel sought to please God by giving God the best of what he had, even though it cost him his life due to his brother's jealousy. In verse 5, we find that Enoch sought to please God by walking intimately with him. And in verse 7, we find that Noah pleased God by obeying him and building an ark even though everyone must have thought he was completely insane. Now, we all seek different things in life. Happiness, money, family, reputation, friendship, knowledge, romance, respect. But there's nothing and no one more important than our Creator. Pleasing Him has to be our greatest priority. It has to be the driving force of our lives. It's the purpose for which we were created. But seeking to please Him is not just an issue of obedience, as if we were slaves to a cold taskmaster. In fact, this text makes clear that pleasing God is ultimately about relationship. It's about relationship. It says in chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Verse 6 says that we please God when we draw near to Him and when we seek Him. That's the heart of the Christian faith. We were created to enjoy relationship with our God. Now, a false religion will tell you that we can get joy and peace and hope and forgiveness through some kind of religious transaction. We read the Bible and we go to church and we act like good people and then God will have to give us the good stuff. But it's not about a transaction. It's about a relationship. God is not a means. He is the end. Or to say it another way, We don't so much get love and joy and peace from God. Instead, we find love and joy and peace in relationship with God. It says He rewards those who seek Him. And ultimately, He Himself is our great reward. So according to Hebrews 11, enduring faith gives us certain hope. Enduring faith seeks to please God. And then we see in verses 8 through 22 that enduring faith longs for something more. Enduring faith longs for something more. Let me read this passage. I know it's long. Let me read the whole thing. Verses 8 through 22 say, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites 
and gave directions concerning his bones. Enduring faith longs for something more. Now, this may sound strange, but at the heart of the Christian faith is a holy discontent. A holy discontent. A holy dissatisfaction. There is a reason why our Christmas presents are never quite enough. And why even the best job or marriage or meal or church community ends up leaving us all just a little empty. All these things are good gifts from God, but those things were never meant to be enough because we were made for something more, for something greater. Abraham and Sarah were miraculously given a child. Isaac and Jacob would produce a nation. Joseph became a ruler in Egypt, but they were each longing for something more. Even the promised land itself would not be enough to satisfy their deepest longings because according to chapter 11, verse 10, they are ultimately looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's why Hebrews 11, 13 through 14 says, They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And then in verse 16 it says, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Like Abraham and Sarah, we are strangers and exiles on the earth. Our true home and our truest hope will never be found here because our king is not yet present. We glimpse his power in our lives, in the church, in our families, but it's not enough. It's just a glimpse because we are meant for something more. Enduring faith radically transforms how we live our lives because it pushes us to long for something more than we can find in this life. It pushes us to long for a greater hope. The thing is, is that if we're not longing for something greater, then we're simply longing for too little. C.S. Lewis famously put it this way, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Marriage, sex, Friendship, art, music, sports, even the local church. They're all amazing things, but they are not ends in and of themselves. They're only a glimpse, a foretaste meant to point us to a greater joy, a greater strength, a greater intimacy, a greater hope. When we seek our greatest joy in these lesser things, we stop longing for the greater gifts that God has promised us, and we become content with mud pies and social media and football games. 
instead of longing for the eternal joy that God has placed before us. On top of that, at a real practical level, when we seek the lesser gifts in place of the greater gifts, we actually end up ruining them as well. If I seek my greatest joy in my marriage or in my kids or in my friendships or in my ministry, I end up placing an unbearable burden, a crushing burden on my wife and my kids and my friends and my church, demanding that they give me something that ultimately only God can give me. But God has promised us a greater hope. And if that's the case, then we should long for something more. Now, this truth also gives us the language to make sense of the inner turmoil that so many of us experience in daily life. Do you ever feel a little empty? A certain void in your heart? A lingering discontentment? with your life? Now, that may be due to a lack of faith, but it also might just be due to the fruit of your faith. You see, enduring faith recognizes the gifts that God has given us in the present, but it also recognizes that our hearts ache for something that will never be fulfilled in this present age but that will most certainly be fulfilled in the age to come. Or or to put it another way, perhaps your broken heart testifies to the fact that you were made for something more. Maybe it's even an affirmation of your faith, proof that you were made for another kingdom, that you really are longing for a greater hope. As Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. If that is you and you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. He has something incredible to offer you. If you do know Jesus, the promise is there. If you're longing for a greater hope, for a greater city, that is good news because in verse 6, It goes on to say, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God knows who you are, and He knows what you and I have done. But He is also a rewarder of those who seek Him. He is not ashamed to be called your God if you will trust in Jesus. And He promises that our greatest longings will most certainly be fulfilled. They will be satisfied if we endure for just a little longer. So according to Hebrews 11, enduring faith gives us certain hope. Enduring faith seeks to please God. Enduring faith longs for something more. And fourth, enduring faith risks everything for a greater promise. Enduring faith risks everything for a greater promise. Let me read another large section of Scripture, verses 23 through 40. It says this, 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Enduring faith risks everything for a greater promise. Now, there's way too much to unpack here this morning. But what we find are men and women who were willing to risk everything for the promises of God. They literally faced kings and armies and lions and fire and sword and torture and mocking and beating and persecutions and death. Some found victory. And many of them found the grave. But they were all willing to risk everything for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of a greater promise. Because they believed what God had said in His Word. They believed the promises He had made. Live or die, they were convinced that God would accomplish what He had promised to them. Nothing would stand in the way. They believed it. And they lived in light of it. That is an enduring faith. If death cannot stop the promises of God, 
then what can the world possibly do to us? Why are you so afraid? Or as the Apostle Paul asked in Romans 8, if God is for us, then who can be against us? So what is God calling you to risk for the kingdom? What is He calling you to risk for this greater promise? Comfort? Security? Status? Reputation? Relationships? Dreams? A few years ago, colleagues of mine had partners who were tortured all night and then murdered in Turkey for their faith. But it doesn't always look quite so glorious. I was talking with a brother from Flint Hills Bible Church this last week, and he shared with me about a co-worker who is brutal, is deeply unkind. And he shared how he had responded angrily to this person. And I shared with him a really hard truth. I said, Gabe, hey, Gabe, you need to go ask forgiveness from this really difficult coworker for your part. And yesterday at the Ironman conference, he came up to me and he said, it went really poorly. It did not go well. She did not respond how he had hoped. And I said, what do you mean it went, didn't go well? You did a hard thing for Jesus. You can't control how that person responds, but you did a hard thing for Jesus. You risked yourself for Jesus. That's what an enduring faith does. So don't give up in doing the hard things, Gabe, or the rest of you, or me. Or how about those of us here who have kids? It is tempting to think that the most important thing we can do is to protect our kids from the evils of our world. But that would be a grave mistake. The greatest thing we can do for our kids is to live our lives right here and right now in light of the promises of God in Jesus. No matter where it leads us and no matter what it costs, whether we live or die, let us make clear to our children and to our world that Jesus is worth it, that His promises are true, and they are good. And that may mean that you need to leave your life and go serve as a missionary and give your life to the Lord, literally. Or maybe it means you need to be really faithful in the daily burden of life and work and family care. Whatever it is, risk yourselves for Jesus. And that leads us to our fifth and final truth about faith according to Hebrews chapter 
11. First of all, enduring faith gives us certain hope. Secondly, it seeks to please God. Third, it longs for something more. Fourth, it risks everything for a greater promise. And fifth, enduring faith fixes its eyes on Jesus. Enduring faith fixes its eyes on Jesus. Let me read chapter 11, verses 39 through chapter 12, verse 3. It says, And all these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." The author of Hebrews has just given us this amazing list of the heroes of the faith. Very imperfect people, people like you and I, who found certain hope in the person and promises of God. And he ends chapter 11 by including us in that list, saying in chapter 11, verse 40, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What does he mean by that? He means that what they long for and what we now have are one and the same. Together, we have all been made perfect in Jesus, having our sins washed away once and for all through His death on our behalf. That's why earlier in the book, in chapter 10, verse 14, it says, For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then he says in chapter 10, verse 17, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Forgiveness, salvation, new life, enduring joy, all that is found in Jesus. He is the culmination of the story. He is the culmination of our story. And that is why an enduring faith fixes its eyes on Him. Hebrews 12 starts off by giving us the incredible image of a race. If you ever watch the Olympics, you can picture a stadium filled with a crowd of people cheering, go, go, go. Very similar to my youth triathlon many years ago. <laughs> go home, go home, go home. Um, but in Hebrews 12, the crowd is, is actually made up not of spectators, but instead of all of those heroes of the faith who came before us, those who have already finished the race. As you run the race, and as your knees grow weak, and you find yourself out of breath, and as the thought of giving up enters in, the author of Hebrews reminds us that there is a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us as if they were standing up and roaring 
and screaming and encouraging us to go, go, go. Even if your mom takes your hand, sends you home, you slap the hand away, say, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to finish. But, but even that isn't enough. Because you don't win a race by looking at the crowd, but by fixing your eyes on the finish line. By taking all the roars of the crowd and the pain in your legs and the exhaustion in your heart and bending your mind and your will and your body forward toward the prize. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the prize. He is the finish line. The crowd is pointing us toward him. So let me read again chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I'm sure you've heard before, many of you, that ancient runners essentially ran naked so that nothing would hold them back, so that nothing would get in the way. In a similar way, we are called to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Whatever sins are holding you down like a weight, distracting you from placing your full attention on the race, Hebrews calls you to strip that off and run with endurance the race that is set before us. This isn't a sprint. It is a marathon. So you have to stay focused. That is what enduring faith does. It, it fixes our eyes on Jesus. It looks to Him. It seeks to please Him. It longs for Him. It risks everything for Him because He is our great reward, because He is our certain hope. We look to Jesus because He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's where salvation is found. We deserve the cross, but He is the one who endured the cross. We deserve the shame, but He is the one who bore our shame. And He did it because of what would happen on the other side. Joy and glory at the right hand of the throne of God for Him. And once for all, salvation for those who will call upon Him in saving faith. In the end, well, it says in verse 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In the end, all who trust in Jesus will endure, not because we are so faithful to our God, but because he is so faithful to fulfill his promises to us. That's the real secret of saving faith. It's not about us. It's about him. As I said earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you want to endure, then don't worry about your reputation or your bank account or your pride or your good works. Don't even focus on the quality of your faith. Instead, focus on the object of your faith, the founder and perfecter of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where we look day after day after day. We fix our eyes on Jesus. It says in chapter 12, verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He lived the life you failed to live. He died the death that we deserve to die. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God in glory and power forever. If the death of Jesus was sufficient to save you, how much more so will the life of Jesus in all its glory be sufficient to sustain you until the very end? So friends, don't give up. Don't become distracted. Don't settle for less. And please do remind me of these things day after day after day. May this enduring faith give us certain hope. And may this certain hope, this certain hope transform our lives and our world as we fix our eyes on Jesus, our King, who loves us and gave himself up for us. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for your kindness towards us and sending us a Savior. Father, may you sustain us in the dark days. May you sustain us when we're weak. May you be sufficient at all times. Thank you for your enduring love toward your people. In Jesus' name, amen.